Hello! We've been expecting you. I'd like to welcome you to Thoughts from Aunt Wu, the Avatar podcast where we know the future. Today we'll be discussing Book 2, Episode 12, The Journey to Ba Sing Se, Part 1, The Serpent's Pass. Today on my panel I have Charles. Hello. Corey will probably be joining us later. And I'd like to welcome a very special guest. Welcome Jen. Jen hey Kim. She's Jen Kim. She, she's not Jen. Uh, yeah, so, Kim. Some people are just a first name, last name kind of person. Jen Kim's one of those people. Forever and always. So, Jen, welcome. Welcome to Thoughts from Aunt Wu. I'm, I'm very excited about having you on. First and foremost, as with all of our guests, what is your experience with Avatar The Last Airbender? Um... I'm not really a person to follow shows, but this is probably the only show I've ever watched in full because I got the DVD set when it finally came out and watched it from beginning to end. So I'm proud to say that I actually finished a show and I'm on a show to talk about the show. Yay! Woo! <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, um... Before we get started, a couple of housekeeping things I'd like to say here at the top. First and foremost, today I'm recording this on the 8th of August. Today is a very special day. I received Turf Wars Part 1, The Legend of Korra comic. Um, I will be reading that um, probably tonight. I have a feeling I'm not going to be able to put that down. Um, I might do a little, like, my own little audio-only uh, review of that, so... Maybe take a look for that on the feed or potentially on the website. I don't know. I might do it in either audio or type it out. I, I haven't decided yet, but I'm very excited about that. Also, I've been pasting it everywhere, but if you're a fan of Game of Thrones, check out our Game of Thrones show. That is Mondays at 8.30 on twitch.tv slash Radley. It's called The Crossroads In. We take a little deep dive into Game of Thrones episodes the Monday after they air. You can also find them on YouTube on our Thoughts from Agua YouTube page if you can't watch them live. I've been very happy with the way those have been going. Um, they're very similar to way to way we are in this show, but a little bit, uh, a little bit more, you know, action-packed with the Game of Thrones stuff. That being said, it's very funny to me that those have been running about an hour long. They've been more or less shorter than our thoughts from Aunt Wu episode for a 55-minute show, as opposed to a 20-24 minute one, which shows just how ridiculous we are when it comes to talking about Avatar. But that's that's great. <laughs> so, with our housekeeping out of the way, I'd like to uh, get into our episode uh, initial thoughts. So, Charles, why don't you kick things off? Initial thoughts on The Serpent's Pass. Damn. <laughs> this is a good episode. Um, there's a lot that... Ha- and there's a lot that happens, and it's, like, all necessary, um, even if you can argue it's not, like, the most ex- or action-packed episode or visually exciting it has those moments, and obviously the focus is on, you know, uh, us learning about the refugee situation, and then Aang's emotional state. Uh, the, and then we get moments for um, Zuko and Sokka as well. Suki returns, and that's awesome. Um, especially since. I think we mentioned back in book one, she was originally written as a character who would just appear once and never again, but they managed to uh, bring her back and not like a, not like a Dex Ex Machina way. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, the episode's just great. 
like there are moments for each of the characters which are so like which are so touching or like you can uh, they animated and did the music really well so you can really get like their emotions come through really strongly and it's just great um i won't say the episode isn't It, it's it's great. Mm-hmm. Numerically, I'm not a hundred percent sure yet, but it's definitely up there. Yeah, we 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 will talk about that a lot. Uh, Jen, how about you? What are your initial thoughts on this episode? Um, so I haven't watched Avatar in a while. So when I was doing my homework last night and watched it, I realized this was one of the episodes that I saw often because I feel like it was just always on the reruns on Nick. It was. It yeah. So I think. Honestly, when I was watching it, I was a little, like, uh, underwhelmed because I was already so familiar with it. But hearing Charles's thoughts, um, yeah, I guess it does lay a lot of groundwork down for, like, future character building, character development things for, um, like, Aang and Sokka. So... Um, in that sense, it's good, but, oh yeah, and then, yeah, like, Suki comes back, and, uh, that's always cool. My favorite episode was with, like, her, when we get introduced to her, and then you get a little snippet of, like, like, Sokka's, like, heartbrokenness over the moon princess, so it's like, all right, let's see where this goes. Um, yeah, otherwise, like. I mean, I always enjoy the Avatar, watching Avatar, so, um, yeah, I enjoyed it. Okay, um, I think it's interesting what you said about this being an episode that, like, you, you remember, um, like, being on a lot, which I, which I agree with, and this is an episode that, like, I went into it going, like, I remember this episode, like, really well, I know what happens, like, I, I remember the, 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 the whole journey to bossing, say, the, the serpents passing the drill, and I probably remember the drill a little bit better, partially because I remember that it's, like, actually the, one of the first things I ever bought on iTunes, uh, was that episode, <laughs> um, uh-huh. But what's interesting is I have kind of the exact opposite opinion of you where you kind of said you were underwhelmed. I was blown away. Like, we've had two episodes that I've given a 10, and I'm not saying I'm giving this episode a 10, but we've had two episodes with that so far of the Southern, you know, the, the Siege of the North Part 2 and Zuko alone. And I went into both those episodes going, yeah, this is one of the best episodes of the series. I'm fully prepared for that this is going to be a 10. This is a great episode, no doubt about it. And they both lived up to expectations, and they were great. This episode, I'm like, I know this episode. It's a good episode, but like, you know, all right. And I was completely blown away. This was one of the best emotional episodes we've had on par with Zuko alone from an emotional standpoint, on par with The Storm, which was, you know, kind of that like first episode in book one that like, well, I guess not the first, the first one was with Spirit World, but like the first one that we like really were like, wow, this blew us away. The emotion in the episode was so powerful. And, and there are just a few, like multiple scenes in this episode that I think are right a hundred like perfection just absolute perfection there's nothing they could have done to make that scene better and i think that really speaks volumes and it's just very surprising to me that an episode that i like i i feel like i remembered so well i went and going oh yeah good episode and now i'm like oh my god this was this was amazing this was was in you know in that conversation i'm still working through my thoughts and and I've, i've kind of 
come to the realization throughout doing this pod for the last, you know, now we're on 31 episodes that I want to, I don't give my, I don't actually like set my rating until we get to the end because I think that talking through with you guys usually can affect my opinions a little bit. So, uh, you know, I'm reserving judgment that I might not be as high at the end. I might even be higher. I don't know. But my goodness, was this, was this an incredible episode? So without further ado, let's get into our episode um, discussion. Um, first and foremost, I think it's interesting that this is uh, the second, you know, now we have the second time we've had our mid-season sort of two-parter uh, with specifically a part one and part two. And I thought that kind of in the same vein as the, as the first one, the two-parter felt a little like, I don't know, like in other than, like if you discount the final shot, it's kind of like not that much to party. Like it kind of feels like very two distinct episodes. And I guess we'll talk about it more next week when we, we discuss the drill. But like throughout the episode, I didn't get that much of a sense of like, oh yeah, this is actually like part one of a, of a, of a single episode. It felt like, oh yeah, this is one episode and then it ends. And then we kind of have a little teaser for the next episode in the final shot. And then, okay, the next episode starts. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they do the part, two-part things much better for the season finales. Yeah. Um, I didn't know if that was like a planning thing or whatever, or you know what else it could be, but and the mi- are- the mid-season in book three with the with the invasion is clearly one story wrapped oh, into yeah, yeah. wrapped into two, into two episodes. Uh, I mean, I think part of it is just like it, it does feel to me a little bit like they kind of just were like, oh. We're in the middle of the season. Let's just kind of like stamp things together. Like kind of like the fact that it's episodes 9 and 10 and 11 or you know 10 and or 10 and 11, 11 and 12 or 10 and 11, 12 and 13. <laughs> Numbers are hard. Kind of feels inconsequential. It's kind of like, "Oh, this happens to be the mid-season finale. Here you go." Which is fun. Like I don't necessarily mind it, but it just it's just interesting just kind of the note at the start. Yeah. However, it's... Oh, go ahead, Jen. Oh, I was just going to say, I didn't even realize that it was like a two-part episode. So the, the second part be, would be the drill. Yeah. Yeah, they're like not related at all, except for the fact that they're just trying to get to bossing. I mean, they're, they're, I guess they're just geographically uh, related, and that's it. Yeah. Which is yeah. kind of similar to, to, to the spirit world and Avatar Roku, which are kind of like really only related because they're both around the solstice like that's really the only reason those two things are i mean i guess kind of because you have the whole dragon coming in but even then they're kind of like they are very distinct stories mm. mm-hmm. yeah super distinct interesting i mean to be if you want to think about it another way though um a lot of our episodes we've noted to just be like really jumpy location wise time wise whatever Mm-hmm. Having episodes back to back that are actually geographically and temporally linked are not really common outside of like the two part episodes. There's not a lot. I mean, I think that to some degree, this the the second or most of book two, I think, does it a little bit better. Book one, I completely agree. But if you think through book two, like episode, you know, season starts right at the end of of the finale. I mean, it'll be a day or two later. Then it clearly goes right into the cave of you know the the travel to omashu like we know all right we're going to omashu we're going to omashu we get to omashu we're looking for earthbending like it does i think book two does a much better job of sort of putting in perspective like where we are and 
how long it's been. I mean, there's a few jumps like with, you know, in between uh, bitter work and the library where you're kind of like, okay, Aang's earthbending training, like what's actually happening. But for the most part, I think they do a pretty good job of like, yes, this is kind of how spaced out the episodes are. Oh, yeah. no, I'm not saying it's like book one where it's almost completely random, but I mean, literally like next moment it is this. Right? The yes. two-parter episodes are direct, like you could actually tie them together. Yeah. Even between the seasons, um, was it was it really only like a few days? I thought they finished training by the start of book two in water bending. I mean, I guess I mean, maybe that more time has passed, but it's it it doesn't seem like it. At least from a like event wise, nothing happens in between. Yeah, so it. I mean, I just mean like maybe the two parters are in the mid season two parters are more like. Uh, just these things happen to happen together rather yeah. than per se uh, as strong a link as the finales or the invasion yeah, yeah. you mentioned in book three. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think you're right. So, so this episode starts, you know, in a really interesting place, and in a way that I, I like, I went for a moment because I kind of like I did kind of forget the opening scene. Like, we start and it's like everything kind of seems normal. It's cheery. They're kind of having fun. Ang's first line, like when he's like, "Okay, did you figure out how we're getting to Bossing Say?" Even kind of has that, just a little bit of pep that you were used to from Ang, and yet you can see like how quickly that like turns. Like Saka makes a kind of like pretty inane crack about Appa. It's not like that big a deal. And then the music shifts. Everyone's posture shifts, and you look at Ang, and suddenly he's in this like completely huddled, closed off pose. And even though he's putting on a a face of like it's okay, I'm fine, like you can see he's completely cut off. And I think that the framing in this episode with like very often you kind of see Aang shot either like alone or off to the side. Uh, His posture is really good and it just, it works really well to set the tone for this episode that's like Aang is not okay, but it's not rage-filled revenge-seeking Aang from last week. It's a a different type of not okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it's clear he's trying to mask his feelings. And um, I think this episode was pretty good at, like, pinpointing the feelings that people don't know how to, like, communicate to others very well. Like, it's the, I'm going to pretend I'm okay episode when things really aren't okay inside. Like, I, I think that can go for both... Uh, Aang and Sokka. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they get over it at the end, but it's like, yeah, like they, they just try to mask um, their emotions. Hmm. I think Sokka's is a little. Not exactly the same. Not exactly the same, but. I no, I do. Right. I they're think they're terrible. very. I think they're very similar because I think they're also both incredibly guilt ridden. Yeah, because I I think that the main like the, if you talk about like what's the main theme of this episode, I think it's it is a lot about like people having to like kind of come to grips with the guilt that they feel. Mm-hmm. Or things that are, there were simply just things that have happened in the past. Yeah. 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 I mean, 
the reason I'd say, or I feel like it's not quite the same with Sokka is because this doesn't really manifest in other parts of the season. We're halfway through, give or take. Um, and this isn't something we really see throughout episodes 1 to 11. Yeah, I mean, I, I, th- I think you're right, but I think that there's something very specific as to the reason Sokka's feels the way she he does. But oh no, no and then we, we do we do get a bit of it more of it in the boiling rock and like even more than that like just in in the way Sokka's interactions with his father later on. But I guess I guess we'll we'll kind of get to Sokka when we get down there. What I mean is like for Sokka it's almost something specific that causes him to you know enter that state of depression if you would mm-hmm. um or grief or guilt depending on your uh interpretation mm-hmm. but uh, like uh, my gut instinct is to say that had ang lost appa for more than or and not had like this single moment of revelation uh it would have just persisted constantly. Yeah, yeah, I, you're right. There, there is a difference in terms of like, Angs is still is more of a shock, and then more of a consistent like this is just almost a consistent depression. While Sokka's is a more of a trigger that like this situation calls for it. But um, what I mean is, I think that they're tied together, and that they're both about two people who are feeling guilty about something that happened in their past. In Annie's oh. case, immediate. In Sokka's case, a little bit more distant. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, we get into Full Moon Bay, and, I mean, I have to say, like, it. we've talked about the refugee crisis before. We, we, we talked about it during Great Divide. We, we've, we've heard about it um, in, other pra- in other places. But I think that this is by far the best incarnation of it and the most powerful um, way we've seen it. Um, one, I think that it's very smart to have a lot of like families, like you hear children crying, you have pregnant women. The the fact that like, it's very clear that this is not like a played for comedy, like it wasn't great divide and B it's not like a tribe of like normal looking people who are just kind of walking along. Like these people look completely desperate. Um, you're just seeing this human cost and this like idea that there are, you know, thousands potentially you know tens of thousands of people fleeing to um fleeing from the fire nation like that it adds so much weight to the fact that and i i've talked about before that the, the importance of this because the fire nation can at times be a little on the like how we say like faceless evil like the fire nation is wrong because they're the villains of the story but this is important to show like no 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 there's like real problems like this war is more than just it's a war like this is what what happens in a war and it's also incredibly realistic and i feel like way too often we have like wars in in media and then we forget oh yeah there's going to be a massive refugee problem hello hello Corey. (laughs) we are not very far in we're we're literally on the second scene of the, the episode um, I could tell by the long monologue you had about refugees. Yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> What's anyone, that? Would anyone like to respond to my long monologue about refugees? Um, 
in a little bit. <laughs> okay. We'll talk about when we get to passports, because I think that's where it's interesting. Um, yeah. Quick hitter on the, the other side of the story. We get Jet and Zuko, um, as well as, our obviously, Iroh Smeller being Most... long shot. Um, I, I really I like the Jet-Zuko pairing. I think it's interesting seeing the two of them together, because you kind of have, like, like really total opposites, where like you have kind of a... a good person i mean we can debate whether zuko has gotten to that point yet but like for the most part i think zuko has a good heart i think zuko is like at least kind of working in that direction but he's on the wrong side of the war and then jet who is obviously on the right side of the war from our perspective but is not a good person is clearly a very like troubled person with a lot of issues and yeah he does get redeemed in the end but like I, I think that Jet and Zuko's interactions for me were a lot more interesting than Jet and Katara's, where, you know, it's not like, oh, it's a bad boy and the girl's in love with him. Like, there's actually, like, you can see some interesting comparisons, and it, it makes sense that, like, Jet would kind of see a little bit of himself in Zuko, while Zuko is almost, like, kind of turned off on the other side of, like, oh, I don't want to be around this person who's, like, very, like, clearly pretty, like, messed up. <laughs> I'm I'm hard on Jet because I don't like him. I like I like Jet, Mark. I think you're completely wrong about Jet. Would you deny the concept that he's messed up? He's messed up in a world that's messed up. I mean, and... I he's so his messed up is justified, but he's still messed up. But I, what I'm saying is, like, again, I, I think we had this exact same talk during the Jet episode. He's a a, a regular like archetype of a freedom fighter in like a war in my opinion and like he's doing what he thinks he needs to do and i think he thinks he's completely justified and you and i had this talk before where it's like just because he thinks it's right doesn't mean it's right in the end and i could agree with that but i i I respect jet for sticking to his but would you agree that there is a similarity or or not a similarity a a a very opposingness of Jet and Zuko, where they're almost like exact, like almost exactly opposite when it comes to side versus what they're doing. Well, it's funny, yeah. I mean, and that's something I think that's brilliant about this show, where Zuko's on the wrong side up until you know he really joins Team Avatar of just being on the on the Fire Nation side. But overall, it's you're exactly really- one season and one episode away from that. Yeah, yeah. But like overall, he's he's become more of a good person i mean he has ups and downs he he switches back and forth a few times but most of the time he ends up being good past season one and jet on the other hand is on what we consider the right side of the fence but does things that the average person sitting from the outside see as despicable yeah, yeah. but I, I agree. as i'm saying we're on the outside of it and like as you see with the refugees how much people are suffering you're going to get a lot of people that turn into people but, like I, but I, what i'm saying is i think that jet his interactions with Zuko are a lot better at highlighting that compared to his interactions with Katara back in in, in book one. And I agree. That's okay. true. Good. Yeah. But I think it's, a, I mean, like, his 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 interaction with Katara is a good way to, like, introduce him. And then now you have this really cool, like, juxtaposition between Jet and Zuko. Because, yeah, like, there's, they're so similar, but they're not... And like, because like you guys said, they're on like opposite sides of the fence, but they're kind of running in the same direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. So I try not to turn this into an extraordinarily political show, but it is 2017. 
And the issue of passports is, I think, a very interesting one and obviously a very salient point today when you're talking about the fact that this world is dealing with a refugee crisis going on. So I'm curious, how what what is your guys' impression of the entirety of the passport documentation, the kind of, and the fact that clearly there's a level of vetting going on of these refugees? Um, it's tricky um, because, like, the thing with refugees in a show like Avatar is the Earth Nation, this is all the Earth Nation, correct? Kingdom, yes. Yeah, Earth Kingdom, sorry. So, like, I feel like this is a time where the Earth Kingdom should be unified. I feel like every nation that's not the Fire Nation should be unified right now. So I think it doesn't really add to what's going on in real life today. Oh, I don't, I don't follow what you mean by that. It's just, it's weird to me how the Earth Kingdom has refugees within their own kingdom during a time of war against the Fire Nation. Why is it weird? Parts of the Earth Kingdom have been overtaken by the Fire Nation. Those people are fleeing and going. Yeah, I understand that. And th those are people in the Earth from the Earth Kingdom that were taken over by the Fire Nation, right? Yeah, but you need you need numbers in a war. I I just don't think that the Earth Kingdom should be in the business of turning their own people. But away. how do I... they know that? I mean, I I don't want to. I'm gonna I'm playing devil's advocate here. But how do they know that these are Earth Kingdom citizens? I mean, clearly two of them aren't, and one of them leads to the destruction of the city. Like, they don't know who these people are. If they don't have passports, how are they? How do they not know they're that's, not? Yeah, that's, that's kind of the unfortunate part because we we don't dive into depth with this. We don't see there uh, uh, being examples of people sneaking into the refugees and just wreaking well, we havoc. Do. And, we we see well, two of them. Okay, that's. I mean, that's okay. That's different for today, but. I mean, like, I feel like, then do you think this happens a lot in the Avatar universe? What do you mean? Do you think this is a regular occurrence to the refugee population? I, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, clearly the Daily is pretty powerful in Ba Sing Se. I wouldn't be surprised if it, like, if they actually found a bunch and, like, But, like, I feel like that's not how the Fire Nation, are you saying, and you're saying the Fire Nation is the one that's leading this expedition, right? I'm saying that I wouldn't be surprised at all if the Fire Nation sent some spies into Ba Sing Se, the Dai Li discovered it and said, maybe we should be like taking a little bit of time to figure out who these people are. I mean, you also have to ask the question because it, it, it's going to come up right now. Like we get the fact that Toph being the Beifang and having this, you know, being from a very rich family gets her in immediately and like uh, bypasses the rules. Is it also possible there's some... I mean, Ba Sing Se can't feed everyone. I mean, are, are, is there not... I mean, I think clearly you're seeing that, like, maybe they're only taking people who are a little bit of higher means, who maybe have, you know, hmm. as... Whether you agree or disagree with the policy, I mean, there's a debate in the U.S. right now. Should we not be taking in less immigrants and only taking in people who are skilled enough to benefit society? Now, I personally disagree with that plan, but... It is a point of view, and it's one that I think is fine. Like I don't, I don't have a like fundamental problem with this show having the Earth Kingdom take that view, especially since it is kind of seen negatively. Hmm. But it's just I feel like it's different than what's going on in the U.S. today because I think 
the fire nation is more of a nation that doesn't instill those types of tactics. I think they're more of just a, a front imperial army, if that makes sense to you. And I don't think I, they would like. I think that that's not. I I I think that it would be foolish. For example, I mean, we don't. Me we might not let's, see it, but I'd be that seems let's, foolish let's, let's, to me. Let's just right now. Let's compare the Fire Nation to Imperial Japan, right? Yeah. Back then they never instilled tactics like that through the refugee population. They just you're won you're, you're telling me the Japanese what, didn't wait, have wait. a spy program? Are you what? What? Wait. <laughs> I oh, what are you talking about? We're talking about refugees versus spy programs. I, I'm not. I'm not saying did Japan specifically send in refugees because it's a different situation where World War. First of all, the U.S. was not taking refugees during World War II specifically, and part of the reason was to block this. They blocked Jewish immigrants because they didn't want potential German spies coming in, and they also were anti-Semitic and didn't like Jews. But like no, but I'm not talking about the U.S. I'm talking about the in actual imperial nation of Japan. Yeah, yeah, um, but they had spies. He's going where? I'm so, wait, what was the question? You said, did Imperial Japan do this? And I'm saying, I mean, maybe not exactly this, but they definitely had spies and they would have done everything they can to get those spies into the United States or any of their enemy adversarial nations, China, for example. I'm sure that uh, Japan had spies in Chinese cities. I, I don't think they really needed the spies. They just kind of ran I, over most of China anyway. <laughs> if they had run into resistance in China, I'm sure they would have sent in spies. No, I agree with that. It just didn't really happen. <laughs> You're right. That's true. You're right. But in the case of this where it took 100 years for them to win the war and there's a city that they clearly cannot break... Except I mean, isn't that what ends up happening later on anyway? Like, yeah. Azua's campaign is not a... Not 100% direct. I mean, it's not direct uh, at all. It's entirely... Services. Jen, were you about to say something? No, I said... No, because you said um, the war going on for 100 years, except for this one city they can't get through. So they, so I just said, so they make a giant drill. Well, yeah, that, that too. <laughs> we'll we'll, we'll talk about... Fun. We will talk about the drill in a week. <laughs> I like the drill, by the way. I, I do too. I'm just saying we'll we'll talk about it in a week. So, so Corey, if if, if I'm understanding you, is your point that you think the Earth Kingdom should just be like, come on in, everybody? Like we're we're just you need to uh, we need to defend all of our citizens. Come on in. No, I'm saying they 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 need all the people they could get to fight the Fire Nation. And I think taking in refugees is a good way to get more foot soldiers, especially ones that are very angry with the Fire Nation. And I think I, I mean, this maybe, is not a tactic they should be doing. I mean, I, I, I would this, agree with you that I think that it's wrong, but I, I don't know if I'm not to get about foot wrong, soldiers. Because, but... like, we, could, we could debate till the, the moon about this, the macro sense of like what to do with refugees generally, but I'm saying these are this is almost as if and I'm, you're probably not going to agree with me on this, but this is how I think. This is the as if, let's say, the the United States wouldn't take in its own people from, like, surrounding territories during a time of war. Like, I don't think that's something that the United States would do. Because these I, are just Earth I, Kingdom citizens. I agree. I don't think it is. That said, the Earth Kingdom is not as unified as the United States. I agree. And that's why I think they're getting their asses kicked. Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. 
But that's what I. That's my. That, okay. that was my point. Okay, that's right fine. There. You're then sorry. I, I misunderstood exactly what your point is. Then I, I agree with your point. Then that's fine. <laughs> From that perspective, if you want to compare them to, let's say, a, a real historical example, they'd be probably similar to um, Greece in ancient times, or perhaps the uh, early U.S. prior to 1789 or so. Yeah. Uh, during the Articles of Articles Confederation, Confederation U.S. would make sense. Yeah, or oh, yeah, that, that's, that's what the Earth Kingdom is uh, to me. Yep, that's 100%. I, I agree with that. But yeah, I, I was and, just using... Yeah, go on. Uh, let me say, like, back then, right, that attitude was... I mean, especially if you look at Greece as the example, like nation-state Greece as the example... Um, yeah, there, <laughs> there were like lots of issues when people wanted to go from one city to another, mm-hmm. um, even though there's part they they're unified when facing an outside threat. Even internally, they you know, had issues with each other, didn't necessarily trust the other party, and things like that. So, mm-hmm. but the thing yeah. with the thing, you're, to your point, if you're going to mention the Articles of Confederation. They got scrapped really quickly by the time like shit started going down in the United States, where they realized uh, a system like that won't work, especially because they started getting, they, you know, they saw the War of eighteen twelve to come, the uh, all these other conflicts that were going on that the Articles couldn't deal with. So they decided they needed a more unified country, and that's what the Earth Kingdom never does, and that's why I think they get their asses kicked by the Fire Nation so easily. Yeah, but right. keep in uh, mind but... that the Earth Kingdom has advantages that the Earth that the U.S. would not have at that time, not to mention, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that's all, I mean, you have to keep in mind that, like, the Earth Kingdom has, like, this massive population advantage against everybody else. So, True, to some degree, it, it probably is easier for them to be less unified because it's like, well, if necessary, we can raise this, you know, pretty massive army and... Well, I think it's pretty necessary for 100 years, <laughs> Well, obviously, yeah, but but the, the Fire Nation itself ends up being all, all you know, kind of ends up using its own advantages, technological and sort of, you know, strategic, strategic. Yeah, I mean, a whole bunch of things. But like, if you think about like over the course of the last five hundred years, you know, or thousand years, why did the Earth Kingdom not do this? Like, it it makes sense. Like we, you know, we. Oh no, no, I agree. But now. We're we're in a different story in the yeah, last yeah. 100 years where it needs to, it should it needs to be done. Yeah, and hey, I mean, in we'll see, but in 70 years, things change, obviously. Yeah, and I you know I think the uh, we we always forget what the Earth Kingdom was based off of. China, China never ever was able to really unify, stop like imperialist nations from like going into it until after World War II. So, you know, I mean, depends on which period of Chinese history we're talking about. Well, I'm talking about the most of modern history. Yes. That's true. If you look at ancient history, China was more the empire going into other... <laughs> yeah, but they didn't have a lot of competition back in ancient times. Except for the Mongolian. Well, I mean, this, you can make the same right, statement about most countries, right? But let, Let's, let's uh, keep this from going... I don't want to go too deep into, into Chinese history again. We've done that once. <laughs> I mean, no, but that's interesting if you think about the Earth Nation, because they... Uh, oh no! I I completely I completely agree. I'm I'm just like, you know, time wise. Mark doesn't want a two hour episode. I, I don't. Uh, we're getting there. We're a half hour in, and we have we're we're still on like the third line of my my notes. Hey, speaking of passports, 
Do we actually know that they only take Earth Nation passports? No, we don't. No, but, I mean, technically the only other ones they could take were Water Tribe. I mean, so, theoretically, if, if they had passports somehow, say they got issued from Northern Water Tribe, when, um, they were up there at the end of season one, what do you think they would have done? My the, guess is uh, no. My guess is that they were only accepting Earth Kingdom passports. Okay. I, I could be wrong. We don't know an answer, but that would be my guess. Yeah, I, I was just thinking, like, do you think it's Earth Kingdom only? Do you think it's allied nations, just the others are basically non-existent? Because yeah, it, it, it's weird are... because there are only four nations, so it, like... It, even though it sounds really weird to say they're only accepting Earth Kingdom passports, like, but that's kind of the only passports that would matter. Yeah, yeah I just mean, like, it's an interesting thought experiment. It never happens because... Uh, I mean, I think an interesting thought experiment like... on the other side is what would happen if Kiyoshi was to... Kiyoshi, like, people from Kiyoshi were to come. Because we Wait, know that... Know. Well, they're not... But that's the thing. They're not, like, led into the city. They're just like, oh, okay, yeah, sure, you can join the army. Like, Wait, but they get into the city by joining the army. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, what I'm saying is let's, let's say that in, rather than having come as able-bodied, we're here to help you, came as straight refugees. I think that's uh... a question. I, but I, I, I don't know. I don't want to get bogged passport? down on that. Not that they didn't have passports, but the fact that we kind of know that Kiyoshi is, like, theoretically independent from the Earth Kingdom. Mm. I mean, in some ways, isn't um, isn't Omashu also? No. Oma like Omashu. My understanding, and this is this to some degree is conjecture, but my understanding of the Earth Kingdom is it's kind of like a like each ter like city or and like surrounding area is kind of like allowed to govern itself. Yet all of them are like the technically under the rule of the Earth King. So, what distinguishes one from another? What do you mean? Um, because Kyoshi Island was separated by Kyoshi, what, 400 years I, ago? I think there are drawn borders. A couple hundred years ago? I think that there are just like, this territory is this territory. Uh, do we have drawn maps? We uh, no, don't in Sokora, but we do in... We do no, in we do in Korra. We in Korra we do see the division of the Earth Kingdom as separate, like governed areas. That is seventy years later, but it would make sense that that's kind of the way things are. That like I mean, it's a pretty big seventy years. They went from people not having like access to what we would consider basic technology to the development of usable no no i disagree combat. that it's it's a it's a big 70 years i think it's actually completely reasonable i think that if you were to judge avatar it's about like 1865 would be about my guess and then if you look at Korra, it's like 1920s i i i actually i think the technology makes perfect sense but that aside i I'm not saying that's a definitely the answer, but like to the best of my knowledge, that would that's what makes the most sense because we do know that ba uh, Omashu is sending like 
people off to fight the front lines. So then clearly, the there is is that Boomi's you know decision. Being I don't. I don't know. Leader of his. I don't know. It's an interesting thing to think about. I guess you're uh, Jen's right. But you also have this question with Boomy being king, the fact that Aang theoretically didn't like Aang didn't refer to him as like a prince. So like, I'm curious yeah. if King is like. I mean, I hate to say this, but like, the queen of of Naboo was an elected position. Uh, that's possible. Another possibility uh, is that it was over a hundred uh, years ago. I am, so <laughs> I am ending this con. I'm ending this conversation because I just mentioned Naboo on the podcast, and I know where oh, that's going. And I'm well. Star Wars. I'm not getting into it. So <laughs> we're moving on. We meet Suki. We're all really happy that Suki's back. Um, I like like I like how she looks without makeup. I think it like it's interesting to see like how different she like how different they look without their. Uh, Without the trademark makeup. Um, Wait, I think... you didn't talk about Cabbage Man. Lindsay would be so yeah. disappointed. Oh, yes. Cabbage Man is here. He gets his stuff eaten by a platypus bear. It's very sad. <laughs> Wait, um, but... Wait, before Jen, go ahead. Thing, I just really liked how Toph pulled out her, her, her passport, and that was like just a pretty boss lady move right there. <laughs> the golden seal of the flying boar. Yeah, like, I don't know, just like, this little girl is so freaking powerful, I love it. She's tough. That's all I wanted to say. That's tough. That's fine. Tough <laughs> is awesome. <laughs> Alright, so so specifically on Suki, um, I think there's something really interesting about um, when Suki looks at Aang um, after she finds out that Appa's missing and like, like looks at him and is like, are you doing okay? And I think that for me, what's really interesting about that is, like, Suki doesn't know them that well. And to me, it kind of signified the fact that because she's living somewhere that's so steeped in the history of Kyoshi and so steeped in the history of the Avatar, that she probably has a little bit more understanding of the animal guide being an important thing than most outside observers would, which it does seem to me like we don't, like, when. It's not like when they meet up with people in Boston and say they're like, everyone else is like, oh my God, you lost Bapa. Like, is everything okay? Like, I, I really think that there's something there that like the fact that she is probably knows Kyoshi's history probably has a deeper understanding of, oh yeah, it's kind of a really big deal that the Avatar has their animal guide. Can you refresh my memory on the history of Kyoshi and I mean, Avatar? I mean, just in general, all avatars have an animal guide, um, oh. like Appa. And we don't know what Kiyoshi, what specifically Kiyoshi's animal guide was, but it would stand to reason that someone who is, you know, wearing the same makeup and garb has probably oh. learned the the histories of Kiyoshi and probably knows Kiyoshi had some animal guide that was important. I see. I see. Um. I don't know that from that moment when she starts like talking to them and like filling them in on like what's been up with her life and then her like kind of her breaking away from her catching up to like checking in on how Aang is doing was like a very like older sisterly moment or like a motherly moment that I mean when you're like a band of like 
for kids like just traveling on your own it's some it's like that sort of attention is something that you like long for you know mm-hmm. um and ang denies it at that point right yeah well i mean he I'm says not. he's fine but yeah he's not liar <laughs> uh, I, I mean even then like you can see like he's very close to cracking like it like it's not even a like he kind of gives a little bit like he kind of pushes back a little bit and like just getting to see everyone's look um of concern like you're like okay everyone everyone here knows that this is not like we're not okay but we're gonna keep going because it it's the easiest thing to do that's the only thing you can do yeah yeah it's it's a small hit but the um just adding in the fact that like there's thieves preying on these people like of these refugees is like just another like kind of dagger of like wow like this is this is really bad and it make again it makes sense like thieves would be preying on people uh who really can't defend themselves and um you know you can see how much like that affects all this and like how much this entire episode kind of to some degree hinges on a bunch of thieves that we never see mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um it was jet what it was jet i don't believe so because i believe jet and <laughs> no I, I know i know he's on the boat already i'm just saying that would be that would actually compass, be very i wouldn't be too that surprised. would be very interesting considering like zuko met these people it'd be kind of kind of funny if like you want to tie everything together yeah, for sure. All right, so I want to I want to key in on um, the Ang's line about hope, um, and like first, like it, like it does kind of like signal a pretty quick turn of like, wow, this got dark. But I, I I think it's also like it's very interesting, like philosophically, to see like Ang, who is you know really like this very cheerful and upbeat character, to like kind of have this line that like is really very dark. Yeah. I was really surprised. Um, I didn't expect that uh, coming from him at all. What was the line exactly? Um, it's may, uh, maybe we should abandon it. Like the monks used to say that uh, hope is just a distraction, and he then goes on to say like um, hope isn't going to get us through, but uh, get us through this pass. Hope isn't going to find Appa. Uh, we need to focus on the task at hand, which, yes, there is like a, it does make sense. And I, I think that there is probably a, um, like something to the wisdom of saying like, you need to do more than hope. You can't just like hope for things to happen. You need to actually focus on things and go out and do them. But in this context, it's kind of spun so far to the other side of like, it's time to abandon that hope. Like we need to just like, it, it, it ends up becoming very dark. And you can see that, like, when Aang is mixing these negative emotions with kind of the, like, re- almost retreating into his airbender philosophies, it it kind of, it goes to this very, like, it go, not very, it goes to this, very, this negative place. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with what you're saying, because I was just like, Oh, on um, how there's like some bit of truth about uh, like hope, like hope on its own isn't gonna do anything. But how how far Ang spun it to 
kind of take it out of its meaning because when he said that, I'm like, there's no way the monks actually meant what you're trying to describe here right now. Um, I mean, that at least that was my thought. Um, and then what he said after that is just like, hope isn't going to help us find Appa. Like, uh, we just need to focus on the task at hand and I'm like well isn't the task at hand finding Appa and if you are focusing on that task is that not having hope so I was like I don't think what you're saying actually makes sense I mean yeah yes I I, I agree but I but I think that it's I think that it comes from taking a sort of a lesson about probably taking action and then kind of putting it through the lens of this incredibly negative emotional state that Aang is in, one that he's mm-hmm. holding back, one he's not even admitting to himself that he's in. And what comes out is this like kind of mangled philosophical point about the way you should be acting right now. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh I'm I'll I'll be the devil's advocate here and say that I think Aang's interpretation of the quote is actually probably fairly close to what the monks had intended. Uh, The concept of abandoning hope from, or abandoning emotion, and we actually do revisit this to some extent in um, the start of the next book, when he's trying to uh, unlock his chakras. It's the end of this book, sorry. It's the end of this book. It's the finale. It's the book two finale. Wait. What? <laughs> the book, the part one of the book two finale is the guru. He unlocks his God chakras. Damn it. Okay, fine. The the end of this book then. Um. That yeah, that that's a thing to attain. In uh, our our human world religions, to attain enlightenment for a lot of them, you do have Let to go your earthly tether. Yeah, that's hope, fear, joy, lust, anger, etc. Hmm. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if the monks meant it more in that context rather than the get down to business and do things. Because let's be honest, the airbending nation was not very much for getting down to do things. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't really. Let go your earthly tether, enter the void, empty, and become wind. Yeah, exactly. So, like, uh, I... Yeah, it's definitely, like, twisted because of the... You know, because of what's happened to Aang and the emotional state he's in. But I don't think it's so far twisted from how they originally meant it. Like, it's darker here because of the context... But in theory, uh, even if it was said in a you know, more neutral light, it means something similar. Hmm. Um, and there's something to that, because I think you said it even before. Uh, hoping for things doesn't make them happen, and sometimes leads to you or to people imagining you know, routes to a solution that just are you know, not doable or illogical. Yeah. And it's a cartoon, Whereas, so those time then those things end up happening perfectly because, you know. Yeah, but they yeah, but our characters don't know that. No, no, yeah. I know, but 
No, no, I, 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 yeah, I agree. I, I agree with both of you. I think that there, it's to be honest, I think it's somewhere in the middle. I think that it's the, it's probably something that's not like the entirety of of airbending philosophy. I think it's something that kind of comes from a specific school of thought, kind of that Guru Lakima side of like kind of removing yourself from earthly desires, removing yourself from the earth, and kind of thinking about your thinking through things on a higher plane. But I also think that there's this kind of because Aang is, you know, away from that kind of has been become because he's been removed from it. There's a sort of taking it on a more like practical level. Like what I mean, I guess what I'm saying is I don't think the monks meant it practically. I don't think that they meant it as like practically you should be focused on like achievement and not on hoping for it to happen. I think that that's more, they're, they're more thinking on it on a much more like deeply spiritual, like level about the way you should feel about the world. And Aang is taking that kind of spiritual lesson and trying to apply it in a very like specific situation. And I think that like, that's where it becomes problematic. And that's where, again, it's like because Aang is in this emotional state, he is retreating into something that's like a different, like rather than expressing his own personality, he's retreating inward. And what's coming out is this like kind of justification through philosophy. Yeah, I mean... Uh, you said it before, it's definitely, uh, some part of it is definitely uh, twisted to suit his emotional state in the current situation, rather than being like the more, um, just thinking on the higher plane that we think the monks and the guru intend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so while... I don't like I said I, as I said at the top I don't I don't think the two parter is used all that well. The one nice little hint I I like the uh, with Suki kind of like talking about oh the, you know the Fire Nation's working on something big on the other side and no one knows what it is I think I think that that kind of like does work well of like setting up the next episode of like oh yeah something something big might be going down. Um, I I think that there's it's interesting to see this Sokka Toff Suki dynamic. Um, obviously to some degree it's played for a little bit of comedy, but I think it also kind of goes to show like there's something very specific about the fact that like Sokka has like clear romantic feelings for Suki and that's causing him to act in like such a specific way and that it's, it's less of like everyone he cares about and more of like very specific in this situation. But do you or but do you guys think that it, it that that dynamic is weird? What dynamic? The I mean, we get a few kind of the jokes of like you know top top you know Sokka pushes um, Suki out of the way and then Toph saves uh, Sokka and Sokka's like Suki, you need to be more careful and Toph says you know like <laughs> thanks uh-huh. for saving my life Sokka oh no problem or thanks for saving my my life Toph oh no problem Sokka. <laughs> Uh-huh. So what's your question? My question is are you do you guys find that this dynamic interesting or do you think that it's played poorly? Like his mm. overprotection of Suki? No, more of the adding Toph in as the kind of comedic buffer. 
She needs uh, to something in this episode. <laughs> that's true, yeah. Uh, I think it kind of works. Uh, yeah, no, I, I do too. I'm, I'm just curious if you guys did. We, I mean, it leads to that fun or interesting moment in the water. Yeah, that's yeah. true. <laughs> For sure. Shipping fans rejoice. Uh, some do, some do. Um, I, I like the very little detail of, of kind of the husband, uh, like massaging his, you know, his wife's feet after being, you know, walking all day. Um, you know, with her being pregnant, I, I, it helped. It, like, I really do get a sense of the love and caring that this family has for each other, and that's very important because the ending is so like is so poignant with Aang talking about like seeing the love of this family, and it, like it it would be if we didn't get to see that, it would be really. Um, I think that, that that moment would not have hit home for me. So I'm really, I was like really happy, or I'm really happy that the they added in just like it's just a little like two second insert into the shot, but. It, it it carries a lot of weight. Um, we switch over to the boat and, and we get a little uh, we get our little Zuko jet uh, plan to steal some food. I love a little bit of stealth in, in Last Airbender. Uh, there's not much to talk about, but just like it's nice to see a little mini heist. Uh, did you like the little arrow esque escape, Corey? Of course, I did. It was actually really brilliant too. Yeah, I loved everything about that scene. I, I know I missed it because I, I came a little late, but my favorite line is like from Iroh is when he was like, "I returned to the city where like I I was at my most shame as a tourist." Oh, yeah, I love Iroh. It's it's funny, and then you remember what he really means is I'm returning to where my son died. That's why, like, it, it, it was fun. That actually made it funnier. Oh, yeah. No, no, because it, it's, I mean, it's both funny and, <laughs> in, like, you also, like, it goes in again into, like, kind of the guilt of this episode, like, being the theme of this episode. Like, it's also kind of Iroh kind of hiding his emotions on some level, like, through oh, the, through being funny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have, uh, absolutely agree. So, so speaking of guilt and speaking of, of scenes, the the moment of Aang, or the, the scene of Ang and Katara um, out in the moonlight is, I mean, this is this is as good as the show, and and just any show. This is as good as television gets. Um, I think this scene is is straight perfection. Um, the framing of Ang's um, the way he his posture, the facial expressions from both him and Katara are great. The the dialogue fits unbelievably well. Getting to see Ang, um, like the fact that you're, you're, he has all of this guilt, and we talked so much last week about like, oh my God, we saw Ang like kill another creature. We saw Ang lose control and just react violently, and that was like so against what we know of Ang. And it's like he even recognizes that, like he realizes that, and that's like why he's acting in this way. Is it's it's an overcompensation where he's trying. He's trying everything he can to hold it together. He's trying so hard to remain in control of himself that he's cutting himself off and not able to, um, not letting himself feel anything. Uh-huh. Um, and then on the other side, you get Katara. And while sometimes, you know, Katara can come off a little on the sappy, you know, kind of, to make the joke like friendship speeches I mean they make the joke itself like you know just speeches about hope 
for me, this one like came off perfectly because one, the idea of like um, Katara talking about losing someone who's important to you, like that's something that hits home because we know this is someone who lost her mother. We're going to learn later, like how she even carries a, 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 a an amount of survivor's guilt regarding her mother and like all that she's been through. And I think that it 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 really hits home for me the fact that. When Katara is saying, like, I know sometimes it hurts more to hope, it hurts more to care, that, and, and, and then she asks him, like, you need to promise me you won't stop caring. Like, she's not only saying, she's saying this one from a place of, like, experience that she knows, like, she actually does know how this feels. And also, the fact that she isn't even, like, fully over the death of her mother herself, like, to some degree, this is even her, like, manifesting her own, like, problems like she's something this is something that she herself struggles with and i i love how that dynamic works there hmm. i think it's easy to forget that because i didn't even think about her own yeah like her own past and how she could actually sympathize with uh what ang's going through very well um but because it happened so long ago or because you you personally had never met or had been with her as she was going through that struggle um or at least it, like when it immediately happened like it's like when i forget that someone had broken an ankle and like it's like kind of healed but then i kick it by accident it's like oh sorry like that that was that was that was a problem and i just made it hurt again i'm sorry it's it's, it's sort of like to me it's one it's it, i don't know that's how it, i remember that's how um, it's like resonating with me right now. Uh, but um, that's a really good point you bring up there, Mark. Um, yeah, and then Ang rejects her hug, which is really sad. Yeah, no, that that even like that for me then caps this scene off perfectly because, like he, you know, this is in this show. Like oftentimes, a hug is like you know just 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 an embrace from a friend is something that's very like easy to you know kind of wash away troubles and i love at like it's heartbreaking but i love ang's reaction where it's not like he's not brash he's not angry he just like very politely bows says thank you for your con you know for your concern and walks away and it's like it's such a heartbreaking thing because you know how much ang cares about katara you know how much Ang relies on Katara for emotional support, but because he's cut himself off so much emotionally, he can't like he can't let himself feel that. So he just bows and walks away. Um, yeah, true that. And then that scene I'm, ends. Oh, go ahead, Charles. I know, like we're, it's supposed we're supposed to think, oh, he should have. You know, accepted the hug and like the the whole point is that Aang shouldn't be um you know suppressing his emotions but isn't god isn't this like part isn't this just a normal part of the grieving process no no i i don't think that like it's wrong like i think it makes total sense that ang doesn't accept the hug i'm just saying it's very like it's sad to see like and the grieving process is something that's sad to watch no, I mean, in that, I, I get the impression that the, 
the story wants us to the the uh, show as it was storyboarded wants us to think that he should get you know move forward like quickly <laughs> it's not been a long time we, we know this we're very keenly aware of this um so you you're you're this, right i don't know does anyone else get that impression i i mean i i think that it kind of depends a little bit on what your like how you personally deal with grief i mean i think that some people in that situation like some people under grief will kind of to some degree collapse into their friends arms or into their loved ones arms and and kind of just all they're going to want in that situation is to be like kind of embraced and and to feel the connection and then there are others who kind of retreat into themselves and and sort of act a certain way i think that for me the reason i i lean the other direction against that is i think that ang like to some degree i think if you if you like got ang under truth serum he wants to accept that he wants to to sort of allow himself to be emotional but he also feels he feels like in this moment he can't because if he like to him at this point he's like it's either i'm emotional and i lose control and i hurt people or i am closed off and i stay in control and I think he sees it as an entire, as a straight dichotomy, and he's made the decision, I am going to close myself off as to not go into the out-of-star state and potentially kill people. And that, like, there's obviously, both those sides are not right. You need to find a middle ground. You need to find a way to be both. But I think that as an audience, we're supposed to w- wish that Aang could be both. But at this moment, he can't because he's just he's so wrapped up in his own, you know, grief towards Appa that he can't. Mm. Eh, all right. I mean, that does make sense. Mm. Then we transition right into another extraordinarily sad scene. Once again, framed in the moonlight, I think that they do a, a great job of framing the moon in between uh, Sokka and Suki here to um, to capture the, the what is theoretically coming between them. But I think that this also, for me, this scene is, is even more important because of how much I love the book one finale. Because the fact that Yue essentially sacrifices herself for the world is kind of, in the grand scheme of things, we don't really remember it like it we see you like we hear about ua here and then we see you know we see it again in the in the awakening and we see it in the ember island players and to some extent i think that that moment that needs to have emotional weight like it can't just be oh character sacrifices themselves oh well no big like that like let's ignore it for the rest of the series and for me this moment here like shows that it does have it did have a real impact on Sokka. That Sokka, we know how he feels about Suki. We know that he really does like her. And he can't, like, to some degree in this moment, he can't be with her because he is also closing himself off emotionally because of what happened at the North Pole. And I think that that's, that that's so essential to making that moment in the, in the book one finale carry weight. Yeah, I agree. 
Um, I don't really know what to say about this scene. Uh... It, it's funny because uh, the original introduction of Suki was basically to hammer home the point that you know you shouldn't be or that Sakura needs to be needed to be less misogynistic and realize that gender regardless of gender uh there are people that you know can be better at or that are better at certain things than you are and you know if they're better than or self-capable then just let them depend on themselves but he's so impacted by what happened to ua in the uh and uh, season one that like he's i won't say regressed per se <laughs> but almost to that degree and you know as you said it's clear that she's pretty overwhelming in um or at least right now and any romantic interests that Sokka might have mm-hmm. I mean not to the point that he won't do it as we see later on in this episode but just that it's something that will that is you know, in the back of his mind. Yeah. Cora, you've been quiet for a while. Um, I don't have a lot to add that you guys aren't already mentioning. That's that's fair. Um, we get the the kind of and we we see them passing out the food on the boat. Um, I I like Longshot. I think he's. I think it's entertaining to see the the mute character like. Kind of like calming down Smeller B and like, like they they understand him. I, I think that that works pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, was that done in a different show too? Like, uh, was it on Nick too? I'm trying to remember. I think that's like a trope that's been seen before. I'm sure like, this has been seen quite. A no, bit. but like really, it's a big show. It's kind of it's kind of. I'll I'll mention it when I remember it. But I think it was like not Hey Arnold, but I'll I'll think of it. All right. Um. Specifically, I guess because we've kind of I gave Corey a chance. What Corey? How did you feel about Iroh? Little like pep, almost like like little talk on second chances. Did, did did you love that the way I did? I yes, and I it's funny. I think he said it so Zuko could hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, I completely agree. But then I also think he doesn't. I think he views Jet as someone that could be like Zuko. Where if you give him the right guidance, you could turn him into like a real hero, actually, and redeem him. Iris is uh, the best in people. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. But like, here's the thing that I'm curious about: like, does Zuko see the best in people literally, or does he just uh, project the way he feels about Zuko on the jet? Sorry, say that again. Does Zuko see the best in Jet? and mm-hmm. sees that, like what he could become as a man or does he just project his feelings on Zuko towards Jet like I believe okay. Zuko one more time Iroh or who you, you've said twice Zuko does Zuko feel see the I best I I'm okay. sorry sorry I, you I said, said Zuko, I, I, I asked you you said it all right you said it twice I'm sorry all right do you all right do I think Iroh sees the best in Jet I think that Iroh sees Jet as Someone who clearly is looking for 
Because I, I, I would believe I believe that Jet is in fact looking to start over and looking for a second chance, and I think that Iroh is kind of reserving judgment. Like I don't think that he is made up his mind yet, and kind of at after seeing what happened is probably saying clearly this guy has had some problems, but like Zuko, he has the right to change. And it's funny because you see right when the scene ends, you, you see Jet's face and it looks like he was like pondering what Iroh said. But I, I think that was just for effect. Yeah. I mean, do you think his suspicions about Zuko and Iroh start here? No, because he offers Zuko so. a place with him. That doesn't mean Sorry. anything. Jen, What's uh, that expression? Keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Yeah. I no, I disagree with that because like and it is next episode. We're gonna see next episode when he like talks to Smarlby and Longshot and is like, you know, I think you'd make a great fi- freedom fighter. Yeah, I know he didn't get that scar from a waterbender. Like I, I don't, I don't think so. I think that he. I mean, I could be completely wrong, but I, I really think that if he did, he would have been like, we're gonna let this guy into our group, but we're like figure out what his deal is like I, I because it's not like he hides from smallerby and jet the moment he starts suspecting and then like goes after them i don't think his like like him i mean just because i so i think he's suspicious but i don't think he but suspicion doesn't necessarily mean like a strong hunch you know it's just like like he picks up on a couple things and he's definitely taking note of them and like the the whole like um framing and the music and the eyebrow is all like hey i noticed that and that was kind of weird and then you kind of get nervous like watching is like oh like is he gonna catch zuko and realize that he's a firebender but then like they turn it around like oh you're just like me but like, I definitely think that there are things in this episode that Jet notices either from what Iroh says or what Zuko does or how he does it and then just, like, like tucks it into mind and then it'll come back later. I I honestly got a very – like, I got very much the opposite impression where it's – where I it felt to me like rather than, like, be, like yeah. picking up on little things, I thought he was more noting on, like, clearly – that, like like I think he's just clearly noting that like wow Zuko definitely is like me and like when when Ira is saying like I believe in second chances I think that he's more looking at it as like okay like we did just like steal a bunch of stuff together clearly Zuko is not the like the model of the law who's like we can't you know I can never steal anything like I think it's more of like he thinks that these people are probably like tr- like have had their troubles in the past and are you know would. I think he's more seeing like, oh, maybe this guy Zuko is exactly like me. I mean, he's got this clearly b- major burn scar on his on his face. Right, right. And, so, uh-huh. and then it's not until he gets this like sudden, like complete change of motion where he sees Iroh heating his tea and it's like, oh my God, they're firebenders. And it's like suddenly the, the lights, compl- like, everything changes and all of the stuff that he was seeing that seemed positive for in his eyes is now completely negative. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Well, I mean. Okay, so maybe what I'm trying to say is like it's not so much. Maybe he's not suspicious. Okay, so maybe he's not suspicious now, but he's definitely taking note of certain things, and he, yeah, he's probably seeing them in that positive light um, for now. But then later, the pieces will come together, and then like suspicion rises even higher. But yeah, yeah, maybe he's not suspicious, but he's definitely no. He's definitely observant. Mm-hmm. Um, in general, I think that the music in this episode, I mean, obviously the music in Avatar is always amazing, but there, there was a little something extra on the music in this one. Um, I think that it just does a great job of capture, capturing emotion throughout. Um, so another question I have, do you, who do you got, do you guys think that the, uh, Serpent's Past not being connected was, A, do you think that that was man-made? And if it was man-made, do you think that that was the Fire Nation trying to block travel to the Earth Kingdom? Or do you think that it was the Earth Kingdom trying to, like, make sure all refugees go through Full Moon Bay? Or do you think that that's just always been the case and the Serpent's Pass requires you to go underwater? It's always been the case because there's an actual literal serpent there. So? So you're saying the Fire Nation, like, planted the serpent? No, not the serpent. The, the hole in the, in the, in the walkway. I just, oh no! I think that's I think that's natural. Yeah, me too. I just kind of assume like oh, like either the the land eroded or the waters rose, <laughs> and and therefore it was covered. I mean, I'm sure at one point it must have been a fully like a full walkway, because there's no reason to. You even see on the. Uh, on the map they have from the spirit library that it's you know it's just marked as land it's not like land with water in between yeah but it is so small that you almost like i guess that's true but i mean that even reinforces the point right like it's very possible that just something naturally changed the water rose a little bit or uh as jen said the land eroded if you want it to be like more man-made, that's also a possibility. Perhaps not intentionally, but we know the Fire Nation's got our projects going on. Maybe they uh, made the lake into you know, more of a dam, so the water level rose because they needed to um, have more space or water power for the drill or something. Who knows? Oh, never mind. That that's definitely. I'm I'm completely wrong. That's definitely not man-made. Can we get a? Can we get that quote on Twitter? I'm definitely wrong. I'm uh, sure. Would you? I will quote that on Twitter. I'm. I'm literally. I'm looking at a map, and it would. That there's no way water. Would, water has to be flowing in between there. Wait, what? Uh, I'm. Uh, if you look at actually a map of the Earth Kingdom, the there it doesn't. It wouldn't make the geography doesn't make sense unless water was flowing in between the two sides of the Serpent's Pass. Huh. So okay. there has to be there there would have to be an opening there or water couldn't flow. And later on we know the that the wait, wait, wait. Go ahead. Do you think okay, so when I when I when they called it the Serpent's Pass, like you know, I was just thinking, oh, that tiny little trail of land is the pass. It's like where people can pass through and it's shaped like a the spine of a serpent. 
Or do you think the serpent's pass literally is talking about that itty bitty space in the middle where the serpent can pass through the water? Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> That's interesting. I didn't think of that. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I just thought of it now. But I think I just thought of it because I'm tired. Mm. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, it's the pass for the serpent, not for the people. Also, okay, Wait. I realized that there was a lot of loopholes once they got to that. It's just like, why couldn't Toph just raise the earth from the beginning so that they could walk on land? Um, and- my guess is because you it's i mean one we don't it is pretty clearly pretty deep and also that would be a lot of land to have to um to bend and i think to some degree like kind of like katara just kind of steps up immediately and is like let's go i mean also also makes like an ice pathway later too which seemed much faster than that little air bubble that they made (laughs) and i'm like I mean, oh, I think that they might be so worried about the. <laughs> it's possible they're worried about like someone slipping, specifically the pregnant. Like True. you don't want a pregnant woman slipping on ice. True. Okay, and the other thing is like, how come the serpent? How come the Fire Nation boat didn't like get attacked by the serpent? Um. And. I, <laughs> I don't know, but it does. It will. It, that does happen later. So. Not like they ignore boats. Okay. <laughs> it's also, I mean, we. it is like clearly, I mean, it's a full day's walk across, so maybe the serpent wasn't in that part of the bay where the Fire Nation ship was. Maybe. I don't know. It's just the little things. Mm-hmm. I'm like, why you gotta attack the good guys? Why? That said, I, I really enjoyed the fight against the serpent. I thought... Seeing the uh, Katara ice surfing was really cool. Um, like Suki had a nice little bit of, uh, you know, a, a scene of like something to do. Um, and then that that final whirlpool effect I thought looked really cool. Um, what about Saka offering Momo for sacrifice? That was a little <laughs> weird. I didn't. That I was kind of like, good, good. Okay, Saka, you're being you're being a little funny for a minute. How about Toph's exuberant? reaction to being rescued um i thought it was funny i i laughed um i really enjoyed her reaction to it of like oh well you can go ahead and let me drown now yeah <laughs> See? i love toff but i'm sure the toff suki shippers out there are very happy <laughs> you mean me you're a toff suki shipper yes Does, did they have a name you just said it well, I'm, I'm actually looking this up. Do they actually have a? No, it's just it's just Toph slash Suki. Actually, come to think of it, maybe that's why they didn't make an ice path. Can Toph see the ice? Well, she no, she cannot see the ice. All right, that that's a pretty good reason. <laughs> Someone could have carried her. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. I, I actually always wanted Top to go with Sokka, by the way. A lot of people do. Did. Do, did, whatever. Hey, technically, we don't know who um, 
who Lin's Su father Yin's was. Father is so. No, no, no. Su Yin, we know, or Su Yin knows who Su Yin's father is. We don't. No one knows who Lin's father is except Toph. Yeah, sorry. The, yeah, it's I... Zuko. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're right. Toph <laughs> definitely got around. There's no way around. Like Toph definitely got around. <sighs> and I'm All completely right. okay with that. I I, I think Toph. Is that she deserves that? She deserves. She's. She deserves that. <laughs> yeah, she deserves the right to do what she wants and get around if that's what she chooses. I mean, we sure. all do, obviously. So, so does so does everyone. Everyone does, but I, I think it may it would make sense that Toph would get around. Um. All right. They get through the pass. Everything's good. Oh my God! The baby's coming. Uh, Can't you just hold it in or something? Um, yeah, so Sokka was was pretty on point of like being a guy who has absolutely no understanding of how of how birth works, and like <laughs> his like it's a real human thing like that. Oh, that. that's fair because when does he ever have an opportunity to experience real birth? No, I agree. I, I think it's I think it I makes mean, perfect sense. Katara it just was very fun. Younger than him, in theory. But it's what? possible. How many years? Two, three? Two. All right, so hey. you're two years old. You, that's that's significant. <laughs> you never know. Oh, no, Some he people... clearly knows that babies are born via pregnancy. I'm just saying that, like, he doesn't actually know the exact, you know, exact mechanics of it because he hasn't delivered a baby while Katara has, and therefore she's a lot more like, okay, we're just going to do this. <laughs> I mean... That's clearly the case, given that she actually does tell everybody what to do. And I think it's fine. I don't, I don't know. I think it's. I think that makes sense. Yeah. I don't know. It just seems weird to me. Like it's not like the Southern Water Tribe is exactly big after all of the. Um, I guess non-elderly, non-children leave. Yeah, but you can think that a few. I mean, it would essentially have to have been some of the pregnant wives like some of the wives were let you know the men left and their wives were pregnant i mean that makes sense but like uh, i don't know it, it seems like she's too capable too adjusted if that makes sense i think that there like, also could be a possibility that she's putting on more of a show because she knows that the group is so like it things are so fragile that it's almost like i need to make sure everyone is like i'm gonna by, by i'm exuding confidence less so because i'm confident and more so because if i exude said confidence everyone around will be calm and feel like things are okay uh, all right yeah that that would seem more right to me because it, it kind of like goes exactly no. with like the like the same thing where she you know says okay like everyone form a line like is Katara actually that confident that it's like okay let's just go or is she saying look I'm gonna step up because no one else is just go like I'm not even like it doesn't matter if I'm not a hundred percent sure about this I have to be so let's do it yeah all right from. Go ahead. 
Uh, I think she knew what she was doing. I don't think she was like, like, faking any of it or like pretending to be any more than what she already was or wasn't. If that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just think she's delivered a baby before or babies, and she's gonna deliver another one on the serpent's pass. And that's it. And it's not an Arctic seal. No, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) It's Mm. a real human thing. Yes, it is. I I just mean, like, Sokka's comment has some sense to it, because we know that the Southern Water Tribe isn't exactly large, and it's not like she's very old when um, the warriors of the tribe leave to fight, so... But we see quite a few young, young children. So we know there are... Eight? Ten? Maybe? I'd say, I'd say younger than that. No, I mean number, numerically. There are okay, like yeah, ten of them, maybe. So if and, then how, and then how young was she when they were even born? If they've deli- even if she delivered three children, I mean, that's like, I think that's, that's fair. three more than Sokka. I think that's fair. <laughs> Plus a few Arctic seals. Technically, I've delivered two children, but that's beside Whoa. the point. Well, um, not all of us are you, Mr. Big Smile. But I mean, it's like, yeah, I get, I guess, I don't know. I guess it's from the seals, but it's like an interesting idea. How many human children could actually have been delivered by someone that's like? probably five or six years old at the time if I'm making a rough, rough estimate uh, if, if she's right. 14 and those kids are five okay so nine nine or ten I, yes do is that is there some weirdness in the timing of like is it exactly like does it make exact sense that she <laughs> no, is no, 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 no. I, like I'm fine with the fact that she's able to do it but that's that's not an issue like it's no, no, I'm saying, like, does does the timing of, like, how many children should, could she actually have delivered, does it kind of not make sense? I agree with that. But I also think that the the Southern Water Tribe as a whole doesn't really make sense that it's that small. Like, I kind of always had, like, this, like, weird sense of, like, maybe there's another village, like, a little uh, ways else. over. Because there's no way that group of people could sustain themselves and live in, the like, that weather. Like, it's not possible. There's no agriculture. You have no one to go hunting. Sokka clearly can't fish, so, like, where are they getting their food from? <laughs> Let's not look too much into it, guys. Oh, that's this show, my young friend. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Let's let's get to Hope, um, the, the the name that uh, that comes out. Uh, I thought the name was a little it was a little sappy, but but I, I was okay with it. I think it I think it works. It is super sappy, and it's not that unique in my in my opinion. But but it fits the theme of the episode. But it's also mm-hmm. when you say it's not unique. Keep in mind, this is a world where you know names are not you know it's not today, our, our world standard of names. Yeah, I I had to keep that in mind. Yeah, definitely. I was like, well, in when everyone else surrounding them has like a name that sounds very asian and then you have a baby named hope i guess that is pretty hope a 
we get our um, our final interaction with 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 Katara and and Aang for the episode. I I adored it. I thought that it it felt like in a in a in a very like in the perfect way, like perfectly romantic. I think in general this episode like actually was very romantic, but in a like really like careful and like like mature way. Like it wasn't sappy. It wasn't like like really silly, but there was a lot of like very raw emotion and very like like serious feelings going on and you could see by the end characters both Katara and and Aang as well as uh Suki and Sokka like kind of coming out of these like kind of depressed emotional states and being able to really um like come to a into a better place and act in a more reasoned way I, I also really like the um, the the blush behind the makeup um, for Kiyoshi, uh, for uh, Suki when she's in her Kiyoshi makeup. I think that it like just like art wise, I thought that really worked well. And yeah. finally, we get to Bossing Say, and I just have to say, like, holy shit, does Bossing Say look incredible? Like, <laughs> we've been talking about Bossing Say, like the show has been talking about Bossing Say since like episode four like they just were always being mentioned it's like this incredible city we know what happened with iroh all this stuff and like seeing ang fly up through the clouds to the top of this just like gargantuan wall oh my god did it like i it, it's hard to imagine that it was able to live up to the expectations that were set and it does like it looks so good do they show the city no we haven't even seen the city just the wall Oh, oh! It's just like that wall is much taller than I thought it was. That was my impression. Your, your, I got a good, like, laugh out of your notes. Yes, <laughs> I put like, them in, in all caps. I put them in all caps. Yes, I did. Oh my god, that wall's like amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I was supposed to say look, not like. Mark gets very emotional watching the show. I do, I really do. Oh, looks amazing? Yeah, it's supposed to be looks, not likes. Oh, okay, well then, it technically spells licks amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Oh. <laughs> that wall licks amazing. <laughs> Take that however you want. <laughs> and then the episode ends with the appearance of the drill. So, quickly, I want to ask you guys, and I'm not, we're not going to spend much time on this, and I, I've asked this question before in other episodes, but do you guys think that if this if we treat this as two separate episodes, we forget that this is a two-parter. Do you guys think that the appearance of the drill kind of undercuts the episode? Or do you think that it's totally fine to have just what is basically just a teaser for next week? Hmm. I'm fine uh, with it. I think it's a really good cliffhanger to the next week. Yeah. Okay. I think- I think it kind of... I think the episode would naturally end a little bit better on him flying up. But the next episode needs... Like, it's 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 entirely necessary for next week. Next up, next week's episode doesn't really work if we don't have this in this episode. But I also right. think this episode, like, kind of... It, it feels a little bit more natural with the actual 
way this episode is set up with sort of all of these feelings, all these emotions. We get to this climax. You get to a resolution. He's going to the wall. Like, I almost think it actually probably would have ended, like, the most natural place to end it would have been him flying away from the group going to Bossing Say on his own. Like, I, I almost think that the appearance of the wall itself is, like, to some degree a bit unnatural and, like, feels like, okay, the episode ended. Now we're on, like, a teaser for next week. And if you treat it like that, I think it's fine. But I think you, for me, I think you have to look at it like that. Hmm. From, like, the standard, you know, uh, conflict buildup, a climax, resolution, conclusion, structural standpoint for any story. Yeah, I, that's definitely true. Um, at the same time, it, it, like, it works better as a teaser, if you look at it as a teaser. But on the other hand, it's also kind of interesting in a way that this signifies the start of. Uh, Dark is not really the right word, but more unfortunate times for. Uh, the gang and just the I guess the events of the story as a whole there's no clean victories left here yeah um well I guess so technically this... next week but after that yeah okay okay <laughs> but you, you get what yeah, I mean yeah. So no you're like, right you're right is, like if you read it as like a even when things go well there's like a negative caveat and the show subtly shifting its well the war is still towards... going on like even if yeah even though they've made it to bossing say they haven't that doesn't accomplish anything yeah if you read yeah. it like that i i think it works pretty well even yeah that that could that could function well and to some degree you could almost say like you you have ang like coming to this place of okay i can be hopeful again i can be helpful and it's like it's kind of like kind of hope is like once again dashed and it's like no 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 Go back to focusing on like the task at hand. To like, yeah, I, I, I can, I can see that. Mm-hmm. All right. So with that, we are going to wrap up. Before we get into our final thoughts, I'm gonna change up the pacing here and do our sort of closing stuff first. So as per always, you can follow us on Twitter at AuntWu underscore Pod. You can check out our website at thoughtsfromauntwu.com. And as always, please check out the Game of Thrones show, The Crossroads Inn, if you are. Uh, interesting Game of Thrones. I think it's a really good time. I also will do a little teaser. Um, there will be some fall shows coming back, specifically on the CW. And Corey and I are in talks of potentially having something, uh, some form of CW content. It's not going to be a podcast or a, a video stream, but something we are we are we're looking into. So uh, get ready for that. So now let's get into our final thoughts and our rating. We have a guest, so I will explain the rating scale. Uh, we are rating our episodes between a 0 and a 10, a 5 being average, a 10 being perfect. If you want to give an episode a 10, you must justify it pretty strongly. Um, I mean, <laughs> And obviously, you will give your final thoughts. So, Corey, you did not have a chance to give your initial thoughts on the episode, so why don't you give your overall thoughts on this episode and your rating? Um, go ahead. It was a great episode. It's classic Avatar that ba- balances humor with a good, serious plot. Um, I really, really like the Jet Zuko stuff. I really like, uh, just, you know, as you said, Aang and his re- actions with, you know, Katara and the rest of the friends, uh, end up rolling out really nicely. And I just think generally that they're, they're handling this with a lot of grace. 
And I, I think that um, I really do like, as you mentioned when I first walked in there in the beginning, that we're seeing more consequences with just a general influx of refugees. And I think it's something that's you know very necessary in a, a show that's talking about a 100-year war. Um, ultimately, this episode is definitely one of the stronger ones in uh, book two. I, I give this uh, a 9.2. Okay. Wow. Charles, yourself? Uh, I'd like the episode a lot. It's There's a lot of visual storytelling that goes on. Um, and that's something I've always appreciated about the series, but we've had it less so in some episodes recently. Um, and part of that is just because of the context of the episodes, but this is like, especially the part in Full Moon Bay with the refugees and the uh, Irosuko scenes in the boat, you can... It's not explicitly said, but you know how like terrible refugees are having it. Um, as Corey mentioned, it's a very classic Avatar. There's a great balance between uh, the emotional moments, action. There's sprinkled comedy in there that flows more or less well with the episode. Uh, yeah, it's just great overall. I, I think I'd give this a 9.5. Um, it's really, really good. Uh, it's just less to me, like impactful or less dense than things like uh, the finale from book book one or this, I guess, or the storm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Jen, how about you? Your final thoughts and your rating for the Serpent's Pass. You guys rate so high. I feel like a total butthead. For what you I'm can doing. rate it however <laughs> you feel. This is your rating. I mean... Um, final thoughts on this episode. Um, I mean, I don't think my opinion of this episode changed too much um, from the beginning of this podcast till now. I guess I just appreciate like the little details a little bit more. Um, it's I think, I think someone mentioned it earlier. Um, it's not necessary. Well, not it's yeah. It's not an episode that's like high packed in action or um, even unlike the like emotional side. It doesn't completely like open up all the characters all the way. But I mean, you, you get to see glimpses here and there. Um, so for me, it. it feels a little bit more like a filler episode it is just it, like I think the title explains it perfectly like journey to bossing say so it's like getting there um so I mean I, my reading is a seven so like, <laughs> feels kind of low compared to you guys but um I mean five is average so I mean the seven is still like very good it's just you know a little bit lower Better than the others than average um but not not one of my favorites. It's like maybe another part of it has to do with the fact that like this is one of the episodes I had seen like frequently if it were on Nick. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm like familiar with it. I'm almost like yeah. So it's a seven for me. Okay. So 
For me, the episode I'm going to compare this to the most when it comes to rating is The Storm, which is another episode that is, you know, not very action-packed, is very much an emotional, is entirely an emotional episode, and one where it's, you know, all about seeing Aang, in, in Aang and then Zuko's sort of their past and kind of how they got to this place they're in right now. Now, I think that this is the stronger episode compared to The Storm. And I love The Storm. I gave The Storm a 9.5. And I think that this is the stronger episode. I think that this episode is probably the best emotional episode other than Zuko alone. Um, and I gave Zuko alone a 10. So it's in already just right off the bat in that range. I think this episode does some really great things. The Zuko and Ira stuff that we really didn't spend that much time on was really good. There was some really good stuff going on in there. It just, in an episode that was this dense and this incredible, like, it kind of, like, it's okay, it just was really good and that's great. Um, I, I, I mean, I spent a ton of time harping on the scene between Katara and, and Aang in the moonlight as well as Suki and Sokka. I think both those scenes are just absolutely out of this world incredible scenes um so much good storytelling going on so i said at the top that that i was considering giving this episode a 9.9 and i'm gonna stick by that i'm giving this episode a 9.9 not quite zuko alone not quite uh the uh the siege of the north part two which are you know in a in that that absolute highest highest tier of television but this is the literal literal step below it and it's not that far away this episode is absolutely incredible and i am i mean almost shocked that i didn't remember this episode as being so iconic and yet it really is this is such an important episode and i really loved it so with that thank you to my panel to uh charles for being here Corey for for getting on uh when he could i appreciate you guys both being here Thank you to Jen for hopping on as a guest. Uh, I, I really appreciated Woo-hoo. having you on. I thought that uh, you added some really interesting things to the discussion, so I'm glad uh, glad that worked out. It's been fun. And uh, with that, we will uh, see you next week for uh, the drill. Uh, it's uh, it's coming, so we know we know it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> and we're out.